And welcome to another episode of Two Medics and One Mic. Your presenters are Imran Lasker and Thrusha Gudwatna. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Imran Lasker. I am a consultant radiologist. Hi, I'm Dusha Gunawardner. I'm a cardiology registrar sub-specialising in coronary intervention. And we have a, a very special guest with us today, um, someone we've been teeing up for quite a while. Um, go on, please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ivy and I'm an F2 in diabetes at the moment. There you go. So Ivy, um, your name, Ivy, where does it come from? <laughs> My mom chose it. <laughs> any any particular reason why? Is she is she into plants? No, nope, she just liked it. <laughs> Are you into plants? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm is just, this the way we're going, Imran? We're yeah, going this is plants. the new. Oh, yeah, God. I mean, this is the this is the new podcast. We're talking about plants today. No, I just oh, uh, I remember yesterday we were um we, we you actually had a a nice image of your plants in the background and it did cross my mind. Oh, I wonder why she was called Ivy. I wonder if it's got anything to do with it. But clearly not. Anyway, um yeah, welcome welcome to the podcast. Um. So you are now an F2, is that right? So I'm currently working in diabetes, which is actually quite cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you see many feet in there? Is there any? Is it actual diabetes? Whenever I see like diabetes, <laughs> like diabetes teams, I'm like, actually, it's just full of general medicine, and the actual diabetes <laughs> part of it is like, it's like the DKAs and stuff. What they go to AMU, they stay like one day, and then they go, I guess. But then it's, I feel I called also- out. <laughs> are you enjoying it do you like it yeah like honestly ah. i work on such a sweet ward we get coffee every day sweet. you know the ah. consultants are nice, nice to us we leave on right. time that's the best part we leave ah. on time oh yes, yes. that's really yes. important mm. really important so i should probably say like the origin for getting you um on the podcast because we've been we've been trying to like pin you down for a long time right? oh my god you're elusive uh, oh uh, yeah sorry oh yeah, yeah so busy oh my god uh, <laughs> but um so i think we first interacted ages ago but uh we kind of quoted you a few times there are a few of your tweets so we quoted but the one particular one that made me think oh we definitely have to have on the podcast is when like someone complained about you being too happy and i was like that's ridiculous like, <laughs> like, like um, honestly so- i just feel like when you walk through the ed waiting room you're about to get lynched half the time because you know there's like a hundred people in there and i'm just like i just want my sticky labels so i can send a co-work on <laughs> yeah, that's so bonkers. I couldn't believe it when I was reading that. Like, how could someone complain? Like, what words do you even choose to complain about someone being too happy? Like, what kind of <sighs> like? How can you make that into a complaint? Like, oh, that person's bringing me down. I don't like. It just doesn't make. It's just <laughs> what a miserable person. Honestly, it was just weird. This poor, this guy just went off on a rant at this poor receptionist who's just there, like, okay. Wow! Well, wow. I mean, what? Can you, how do you keep, how do you stay so energetic? How do you stay so happy in this game? My plants—they give me serotonin. Well, oh yes, you did mention this. Your plants give you serotonin. Okay, cool, cool. Well, fair. That's enough. not the so, only string to your bow, though, right? So you're like you're uh, into cheerleading and then gymnastics, and yeah. that's something that I mentioned that I definitely wanted to kind of mention on the podcast because Lily keeps talking about it because she likes fight. Well, I mean, she's you like, get her like, into gym- gymnastics. Yeah, do you reckon? I just, yeah. I'm so squeamish though. Like, I think I'd probably- Close your eyes. Be... Let her do it. Close, Close your eyes. eyes. <laughs> <Is> that, <one>? <laughs> <laughs> that worked for my parents. They just closed their eyes, let me do the thing. And then they're like, okay, she's in one piece. Let's take her home now. How do you find the peril of like doing it now? Like what with work and stuff? Do you not worry about injury? Have you ever, do you injure yourself or? No, luckily enough, I've not had any serious injuries, but I do have the fear now. Hmm. Like, I'm just like, what if I land on my neck? <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, definitely as you get older, you do start worrying about injuries, don't you? I mean, I, I definitely find myself thinking about form and all that stuff a lot more than I used to. Before you just get form. away with it, like whatever. But yeah. um, 
I mean, speaking of being a bit scared, do you remember through when we went to the park the other day and Lily was on the on the swing and I was pushing the swing and then I, I looked at you and your face was like, I'm going to kill you, bro. Like, stop yeah, pushing yeah. the thing so hard. And I was like, okay, <laughs> she was okay, like, literally going down. like, it was above 90 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it, just, it looked like it could almost conceivably go all the way around. And I yeah. couldn't Isn't that it. a child's dream, though, to make oh, a 360 on the swing? Genuinely, I I, that's what I do with my daughter every single week. And then when Yeah, I, I thought, your daughter was on there as well. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I I was like yeah, whatever. That's <laughs> I was so confused. I was like, but his child is on there too. Like, does he not see the peril of the situation? <laughs> I couldn't, I was so scared. I couldn't even talk. I was just squirming. Yeah, you look, you look scared. I, I quickly, I, you literally had to slow it down. I thought, okay, let's slow this down, slow this down. Is that three to take Lily off the uh, swing? Sorry, man. <laughs> I didn't know that was going to be a, a subject. That She's my precious. Covered. Yeah, yeah, my precious, my precious. Um, anyway, we should probably get started. So, I mean, yeah, speaking God. of my precious, there was a Gollum uh, tweet, wasn't there? That was quite oh, a good, uh, yeah, interesting. Nice. Very interesting tweet, wasn't it? Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, shall I read out the tweet? It was yes, from it's from uh, Tessa Davis. Uh, so at Tessa R Davis, who's a pediatrician, and uh, she's got a tick. Um, she Ooh. and she does do some. She does post some really interesting tweets about kind of education and stuff. But this particular tweet focused on the effect of a supervisor. It says so. It goes the Gollum effect or the Golem effect is where our behaviour leads to poorer student performance. It's where we place lower expectations on our students and consequently their performance is worse. If you've ever had a supervisor who doesn't believe in you, you'll know this effect well. And um, well, I mean, Ivy, is that something that you've got many um, experience? I mean, how, how well? Am I asking you to call out your supervisors? Sorry. But do you want I mean, to call look, them out? Even, <laughs> even being a medical student, you come in with low expectations, don't you? And people treat yeah. you pretty badly as being a medical student. So, I mean. I feel like as a med student, you know, you just stand there in the corner on the ward round and then you surprisingly have teaching and then you never come back. <laughs> kind of, yeah, we all know that. <laughs> well, obviously, yeah. Iman, you had supervisors like that too, didn't you? Like, yeah, I mean, I mean, I've said this a few times in the podcast. I've had, uh, I've had supervisors. I mean, one, one was quite a, you know, renowned prof and, um, uh, thankfully, he wasn't, you know, he was quite nice and he would never actually call me thick. But some of the things he would say would be like, yeah, OK, you think I'm thick? And it'd be like, you know, we'd be sitting there having lunch and one day be like, you know, randomly out of the blue, be like, so Imran, you know, um, I mean, you're more of a pattern recognizer. You're not really a thinker. <gasps> All right. Oh, <laughs> All right. Um, That's fair enough. Really yeah, 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 I know. But, you know, like what can you do? Like, he's a big prof. You're not going to argue with that. And he's probably right I'm not thinking about how to get better images I'm just talking about the images and for him that's a pattern recognizer that's not a real radiologist but you get people like this and then I had um, an education supervisor and stuff who who are you know less than um, less than complimentary about my overall ability but it does great on you after a while you know like um yeah, you know, it's difficult to go into work day in and day out knowing that, you know, everyone, well, there are, there's some very key people that you work with that don't think you're very good and um, will more than happily tell you so. Uh, have you guys been in that situation? I feel like I've been very lucky so far that, like, I work in a nice hospital where, you know, we don't really do that to each other. Mm. That's so good. I certainly remember the like, experience at medical school where I had some bedside teaching with a gastroenterology registrar at the Royal Free. And uh, I'm getting awfully specific there. I don't actually remember his name. But mm. um, he did some bedside teaching. And um, I remember like he would just rinse every single answer I gave. Like every single answer just came across as completely stupid. And by the end of the teaching session, which I think was probably only an hour long, I felt completely humiliated. Like I just felt like I was probably on, the, I think I was on the verge of tears. And, uh, I didn't actually cry, but I was pretty close. And mm. after that, I just felt, I felt honestly terrified, terrified to go back. So I missed the next session. 
Uh, oh, and actually, the first session I'd gone to, anno- annoyingly, had been with this other gastro who was amazing. And he just, he wasn't there that week. It was just this guy. This guy and I think they were kind of alternating, but I just didn't really know that. And mm. so, but it got to a point where I started to just miss sessions because I was just so terrified of just being eviscerated again. Mm. Um, but fortunately, like, I plucked up the courage to email the first guy and be like, I had this really bad experience and I feel terrified. Like, um, you know, I just don't, I feel like I don't belong and um, I feel so stupid and and um, I don't know what to do because I had that really good session before and I really like gastro and now I'm, I'm not sure, you know, I feel terrified to walk into the hospital. And he replied like the same day and it was so amazing. He was so humble. He was kind of like, oh, you know, like I failed to my exams during medical school. And he was just really honest with me. And he said, look, you know, when we- he just, you know, he might not have even remembered who I was or whatever, but he, he told me the stuff that I needed to hear, which is that, look, you know, from what I remember, you were fine and whatever. And he was just really encouraging. And you know, I didn't actually go back to teaching on that firm because I was still terrified of that other guy, but I, I went back to other teaching sessions anyway, obviously. But it's just crazy how that one really, really negative uh, uh, experience coupled against, you know, the many other teaching sessions I had where I didn't get completely annihilated had such a strong effect. Um, and there was another tweet, which is along those lines. Um, mm. Yeah, there was. For, I was literally thinking about that. So. The, the, oh yeah, so it's from the depressed medic. So mm. uh, the actually their Twitter handle is the depressed med, and I think that was in response to there was a Twitter thread by some yes. guy who was like talking about the rectum and how amazing the rectum is. And <laughs> I guess when you if a surgeon starts talking about how am- amazing the rectum is, I guess you're gonna pay attention. I mean, I certainly would. But this guy was like, well, me after spending a few months in theaters as an FI one, yeah, well, I never liked surgical stuff before, but maybe I'll maybe I'll consider this. And then he was like, but after 30 seconds on the phone to a really rude registrar yeah screw this why was I even considering surgery and it's crazy isn't it how that negative experience almost negates all that other stuff I mean Ivy have you ever have you ever had that situation where someone uh, I mean there's either been someone that you've met who's senior to you that's been very very nice and you think you know what I'd actually consider that job because of how nice they are or been thinking I'm not going to be like that person because they're not been very nice to me honestly it just how I felt in ENT, like they were so nice to me. They got me scrubbed in so many um, cases as a student. And then when I did my A&E job, neurosurgery honestly just decimated me, like every single time. And I was just like, I phoned you for help. You know, Mm. you could just say no, it's not hard. Neurosurgery, eh? Yeah, neurosurgery, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we, Imran, do you have any thoughts on this, Imran? Yeah, look, okay, so I'm in some ways I'm quite proud that, you know, I made it onto my own podcast as being a, a topic, I guess. Um, uh, basically, I decided to make a bit of a, so I was doing some reporting and I saw something quite horrendous going on in the brain. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to put my phrase down, you know, let's call in the A-team, neurosurgical opinion advised. And I thought, I really like that phrase. It rolls off the tongue really nicely. I'm going to say this is my favorite, my favorite line to say on a, a report. So I put it out there and wow. Um, yeah, I started getting a lot of uh, a grief. And so some, some people, it was, what was surprising to me is that people were um, making the assumption that my the reason I said, or I would like saying the word neurosurgical opinion advised is uh, not warranted. And, um, you know, I'm just wasting people's time. And anyone who calls through uh, to get a neurosurgical opinion is wasting people's time. 
Um, and uh, yeah, fair enough. Like, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm a great doctor or anything, but I like to think that if, uh, if I think a neurosurgical opinion's warranted, it probably is. But yeah, it just carried on, didn't it? I mean, you, you, and then we, we had interaction with people that we used to go to uni with, uh, throwing mm. all sorts of audit. They threw an audit at me. And it's like, well, I've audited this. And well, I'm not going to yeah, argue yeah. with your audit, bro. I mean, you know, you've got an audit, you've got an audit. Um, so it's interesting, Ivy, you, you've had interaction with them and you found them to be difficult. Is that correct? Yeah, like, especially <laughs> when I did a and &E, I was an FY1, yeah. you know, like, I'm not that experienced, so I can only do what I think is right, mm. you know, and I'm like, at the end of the day, all you have to say is no, mm. you know, you didn't have to give me a lecture about why I've wasted your time, because at mm. the end of the day, you're paid to answer my phone call. Not mine you know what? personally, but you are literally paid to answer my call. L that is literally yeah. what I think all the time. Every time, you know, every time I get a phone call and I'm, when I'm on call, even if I get a little bit annoyed, I'm like, listen, this is my job. You know, I'm getting paid for this, whatever. I'll take that phone call. And um, I always find it bizarre when someone gets annoyed because it's part of their job, you, mm. you know. And for someone like yourself, Ivy, if I've gone and said, you know, neurosurgical opinion advice, right? You're going to read that and think, fine, I'm going to get the neurosurgeon's opinion. You call the neurosurgeon. If they say to you something like, well, have you looked at the scan? What do you think we should do? It's like, well, that's not your, <laughs> it's not your job. I mean, it was my job to look at the scan and I've asked you to go talk to them. And it's their job to give an opinion. Why is this even a conversation? Um, but I was surprised. I mean, I've made a few jokes about A&E and surgery, but I think this particular time I was really surprised at the amount of, um, amount of heat I was getting. And obviously I didn't rise up to too much, but you know, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, you did a really funny meme though afterwards, which was the kind of <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I got, I got like, permission. Did you hear from uh, uh, Bethan gave you permission? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, go on, describe that one, yeah. Yeah, so it's basically, um, <laughs> No, I want you to describe it. <laughs> okay, so I found another meme where it was like a lollipop and there was a razor inside the lollipop and the lollipop outside said neurosurgical opinion advised and the razor was a neurosurgeon. So it all, it all seems nice and sweet and as you get closer and closer, you might rip up your tongue. I mean, that's what it felt like. When I saw that meme, I thought, this is pretty much what I've just gone through, isn't it? I mean, this is literally everything that happened in the last 24, 48 hours. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, but then going, coming back to the subject of, um, you know, when you do have interaction with other medical professionals, how it actually does uh, navigate where you go. Like I, I've spoken quite openly about how I went to get a scan one day and the guy who I was asking for a scan said, hey, why don't you do radiology? And, and I guess the rest is history. But equally, I felt the opposite when I called up an orthopod, you know, and they were very uh, rude and then when they turned up they acted like they owned the place and then I thought, okay, one off. But it kept happening. Every time an orthopod came onto the ward, I thought, you know what, yeah. I would also think about what kind of person I'm going to be at the end. And I don't think I want to be like this. And I, maybe I've just had a very, very, very um, skewed, uh, you know, experience of, of that. But I just thought to me personally, this is not where I want to go based on what I'm seeing, based on the interactions I've had. This is not where I want to be. Um, yeah. And I think it has a massive effect. And maybe we should all be a little bit more careful when we interact with each other, uh, because you, you are potentially affecting someone else's opinion and future about what they're going to end up doing in the long term absolutely because if you're just gonna you're just uh every kind of potential person that you just uh talk to is a potential future colleague and so mm. just imagine how awkward you make it if like you're if you're terrible to work with and you really just reduce the pool the size of the pool of the people who apply to your specialty as well and that, mm. that's not going to benefit you in any way uh, on the subject of that i mean there was a tweet from uh, an orthopedic consultant who um so the original tweet is by um, at ortho women and this is someone who had recently taken on, taken up a consultant post and then got an email from a former uh, senior consultant colleague and um so the tweet goes 
So this was posted at 9.47 p.m. on the 14th of November, and it said, I just had this message from a senior consultant. He's worried about women getting into surgery as they, mm. in inverted commas, need to make decisions. And lots of women leave, but it's not because they were discriminated against. Where do I start? And I guess that's because two of his fellows, two of the female fellows um, left. And so the problem must be with them, right? Rather than this mm. dinosaur. Um, I, I was pleased to see the responses uh, to, to the thread, which are pretty much straight away recognizing that it was this person sending the email that was a problem <coughs> rather mm. than the specialty itself. I mean, this is the kind of person that's, yeah, this is the kind of person whose life experience has seen that female female surgeons don't decide to go on to do female, so, I mean, uh, don't go on to do surgery and never ask a question as to why and just rather thinks, oh, it's the females that are the problem. Um, you know, and we see this sort of negativity all the time, don't we? Like, you know, the way female doctors are treated, the fact that, you know, a lot of the time they're not even treated like doctors, you know. And Ivy, you are saying that you've had experience of this, haven't you? Where you've yeah. Been, yeah. Honestly, it just comes down to sexism. Like some people just, they're so shocked when I tell them that, you know, I'm the doctor. And like there's been times in F1 where, you know, multiple doctors have gone, seen the patient, done X, Y, Z, and then the patient's like, oh, so when's the doctor coming? <laughs> and I'm just like, were you not there five minutes ago? Yeah, that's it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, that's just the the way they see it. Like, you know, you, you're a female, you can't be a doctor. And I guess for this particular person, being a surgeon mean, you know, and if you're a female person coming through surgery, they're going to think that you're less likely to be um, a surgeon. And if you decide not to go through, uh, go through and become a surgeon, it's not because of their their attitude or anyone else's attitude. It's got something to do with you. When actually, the problem may have a lot to do with with the actual, the way they're treated, right? I mean, we we spoke the other day about, oh, you know, it's LEDs, that, that's the problem. Standing up for long periods of time, that's the problem. But then you've got, you know, female theater nurses that are standing there. So why is it not a problem for them to stand there for hours and hours doing this, doing like, you know, quite hefty hands-on work? It's, it, it doesn't work like that, does it? It's just, it's just a silly, really, really silly, um, really silly thing to, to think of, isn't it? The the, yeah, to... the mental gymnastics involved to kind of make the problem around then when, when the, actually the problem is pretty obvious, it's just amazing, really. It goes beyond ignorance, doesn't it? It goes to mm. almost like, like pathological behaviour. Um, but I guess that kind of ignorance does lead on to, an, yeah, another tweet which we saw, which has since been deleted, so I guess... But there, there are a few interesting kind of um, questions that arise from it. And I won't quote the tweet directly because it's been deleted or whatever, but essentially the tweet centred on this question about discriminatory potential which um and whether being working class has the same discriminatory discriminatory potential versus other protected characteristics now that word salad is amazing isn't it because that is a perfectly curated question which to me i was just like there's so much going on here I couldn't even like formulate, I was like, this question tells you more than any answer that anyone could ever give. You could write essays on it, uh, could mm. ever kind of like unpick. Um, so I sent it to you guys, right? Because I was like, look mm. at this, look at this. Yeah. What did you guys yeah. think? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I had I had a look at it, and um, well, there's a few things here, right? So I mean, first of all, the big the big red flag, I guess, uh, is the fact that they've said that um, 
you know, being a working class background is a you know is is as discriminatory as other characteristics. And I assume what they mean is by being coloured, being, being black, being from a different country, and all that kind of thing is almost the same thing as being working class. And um, I often find that on in anything in life now, or it, you should really think to yourself, I'm going to comment about something I don't know. No, it's very important that you don't comment on things that you don't know about. Like don't comment about race and uh, race issues unless you're part of that race or you've been a uh, recipient of um, such um, such kind of um, such kind of sentiments, right? But the other thing I was quite interested to th- to notice as well, like, um, I, and I think through I'd be interested to see what you think as well, because you know both of us went to a private school, and so people often look down on people who went to private school and would say something like, "Well, you know, you've had a very privileged background," which is which is true. I mean, that school was a fantastic school with everything under the sun to help us get to where we want to get to, but it almost makes you feel embarrassed to have that. And um, make you feel like, oh, okay, well, you know, there's nothing I can do about that. That's just the way it was for me. Like, I, I didn't, you know, it's the background that I had that got me to this place. So, but then the, the other thing is that, yeah, we went to we went to big schools, but then it doesn't mean I came from a big background. Like, as as Thrusha knows, like my father was working six and a half days a week, and it it wasn't an easy thing to get us through through those places. But then people would still say that I'm, I'm a privileged person, I'm a privileged background, but actually I didn't come from privilege. And so um, I often find that, you know, like, what are people unhappy about when they talk about, you know, privilege and uh, why, are they, why are they getting so fixated on this stuff? I think in that question, I think the interesting thing was it's framing one thing against the other. And we know that they kind of this crossover, right? Like, we know that uh, when that person was saying, for example, working class, I think the implication was the white part of that was silent. But that's essentially mm. what they and they, and I got the impression that they're talking about white people being left behind. But you know maybe maybe I'm reading too much into that. But that's the impression I certainly got from it. Um, mm. But like we know that kind of if you're um, from a minority background, you're much more likely to be working class or whatever. And it's it just seems strange to like pit one against the other. Like oh mm, that's true. I, okay, please sir, can I have a crumb of oppression? You know that whole thing, <laughs> isn't it? Like oh yeah. I'm more oppressed than you. Like yeah okay like you win i mean that's not actually what people are going for when they say that things are when when people are saying oh like things are terrible they're not saying mm. oh i want you to feel more sorry for me we want people to like redress the balance not yeah. be like oh and it's not like a zero-sum game like just because like i i feel like it's what people say when when people talk about blm like people it's like oh it's gonna be this or this like why like why are they like competing <laughs> interests if you treat yeah. everyone well like that's be- that benefits everyone like it's better for society like if everyone's like um if everyone's like treated well and given all the opportunities in life and there's no discrimination then it benefits everyone it benefits everyone but like they didn't get it like so it's like oh this person oh like you know it's just ridiculous like scrapping at the bottom but i really Mm. like keode's reply because it basically just summed it up for me well i mean he always does doesn't he but this is why i always maintain that i'm happy to have discussions but where we start the discussion is even more important we will not be entertaining any discussion pitting being working class against protected identities because it was not in good faith it's not mm. in good faith this was mm. like this disaster waiting to happen and the thing was is that did you see so it's been deleted and then there was this terrible reply um but the other thing that i wanted to maybe if we move away from that and talk about the fact that he got he, ta- he tagged uh, some medical students in and they wanted to say um so they they said like look we had nothing to do like we weren't we consulted before that tweet like we weren't happy to be associated with that sentiment mm. uh uh, but that happens to me. Like I get tagged in stuff, 
Uh, and it varies. Like sometimes it is like about cardiology stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, it's actually quite interesting. And other times it's like, oh, look at this coffee that I'm having on this mountain and whatever. And I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> Yeah, where's a segue with that? Uh, uh, coffee's yeah. brown. Thrush is brown. I'll tag him. <laughs> yeah, that's Good what idea. It is. That's what it is. <laughs> uh, I get it now. Yeah, I mean, how could you not see that segue, uh, Ivy? I mean, look, I mean, have you been ta- have you found yourself in this situation being tagged randomly and things that just got nothing to do with you? You've been pulled into an argument that you don't belong to. No. No. You're so why elusive. You See, this is that. This is why you're so elusive. It's <laughs> <laughs> so hard to pin down. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, it sounds like you've got quite a nice place to. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like things are working quite nicely for you. I mean, have you ever had the situation where? Um, I mean, there was another tweet. Have you ever been in the situation where like people have had a comment about the way you wear your scrubs? I mean, has that happened yeah. to you? Like the way you. Because, I mean, we saw a tweet, didn't we, where, because I got told, so this is from Mel, uh, Mel um, Taylor's version. What does that mean? Anyway, I got told off by a nurse for tucking in my scrubs. He had the audacity to escalate it to the seniors when I refused to untuck. Spoiler, there's no guideline against tucking in your uniform, unlike what this white man suggested. Right. (laughs) Well, firstly, Taylor's version is in response to Taylor Swift's new release, Red. Taylor's version. Oh, okay. I didn't know Which is really good. Oh, my God. State of Grace is... Yeah, slaps, right? Um, Wait, I played it, I put it on the cath lab, like, Bluetooth, and my boss was like, what is this? And I was like, it's Taylor Swift. And I expected that to be the end of it, but there was much, (laughs) there's much. I don't care, it was amazing, she was amazing. Um, See, I'm glad I got you on. (laughs) So, but you don't tuck it, you don't tuck it, do you tuck your scrubs in? No. No. I wish I could. I don't. I don't have the. I feel like you've got to be a special kind of person to do it. Like there's got to be. Like, what kind I just of person? Don't think I'm, you know, I don't know. I just think you have to be shaped in a certain way. Like I reckon <laughs> if I had like abs that were just so amazing that like, and I'd like pull them back really tight so you could just see each of the abs. But I'm not quite there. You can see the top two. You can see the top two, but the others they need <laughs> they need more work. Maybe could one day imagine? I'll be a tucker, a little tucker. Could you imagine? Thrush is going to be like, really pulling that. <laughs> if you've got a six foot, pull it right back, put like hairbands on the back or something to make it all tight. Oh my God. This just reminds me of the episode of The Simpsons where Homer tries to um, tell Marge that he's lost loads of weight and he's just pulled all of his skin back. <laughs> I do not appreciate that comparison one bit. You got told. She yeah, came to the podcast and told you. And not even just about his hairline. Oh my God. Uh, oh wow! But so I mean, basically, we know that this whole—I'm going to move on. But it's like this whole kind of like tuck scrubs thing. There's no, there's no. I mean, why can you even think of a conceivable reason why it would be unacceptable to have tuck scrubs? I mean, why would you even pull someone up on that? Uh, infection control, isn't it? How? Surely it's and I'm better. I'm just saying that's what they say to you, isn't it? You're like, yeah, oh, get like, rid of the watch. But then, like, <laughs> like the bacteria will go inside or something. <laughs> I'm not making sense of infection control. They're just there to give people jobs. That's what we've, uh, we've established, well, haven't we? <laughs> the follow-up tweet is very telling. It goes, pull up the... So it was a joke. I was told by a senior doctor to just do as he says, as he can be difficult. The saddest mm. part is the nurse inventing random rules as he pleases is a white male, and the doctor who suggested I comply is a woman of colour. Uh. But you know what? Look, I'm just going to say this, yeah? Like, some, you know, I don't know about you. I'm always path to least resistance. And if you know someone's difficult, like, all the time, okay? I'm, okay, I'm not going to say about specifics, but there have been a situation where there have been trainees that have been very, very difficult. And you know that, you know, you could call them up. They've done something again that's a bit off or they haven't done something they should have done. But you think, well, you know what? Like, I kind of expect as much. Can you really be bothered with it? Like, it's going to be a five-second thing to say, all right. Let's move on now and move on. I mean, is that is that bad? Should should we be standing up? 
Yeah, I think we should we should develop like a tucked in tucked in day of the week, like tucked in Fridays or something. <laughs> and solidarity for this person. Should we do <laughs> that? Yeah, should we do Wednesday? Yeah. Oh, Wednesday we'll this week. Yeah, we'll just play that. <laughs> All right, Zusha, Wednesday this week, should we do a uh, tucked in, tucked in, yes. in solidarity? Yeah, the hashtag I'm tucked in. Yeah, do it. <laughs> I think we should oh, do it. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, it's silly, isn't it? It just shows you, like, the person hasn't really thought, you know, oh, clearly whoever's t- told this person to, you know, tuck it in, haven't haven't th- thought this through, haven't looked into the guidelines as to why they'd, anyone would need to tuck in their tr- scrubs. It just shows a real lack of understanding behind the question that's being asked, right? But we saw another situation where someone's had the real lack of understanding with the question being asked. And I'm going to read it out. Uh, by MX Charles Hill, they said, what's going on with your legs? Asked the CT tech. And the person says, I don't understand the question. I replied after several seconds, being quite confused. She wanted to know why I use a cane. <sighs> Is this kind of one of those verbal diarrhea situations where someone hasn't quite thought through or they've got like, they're just completely oblivious to to life and for some people, you know, like this is something that is normal for them. And they've been like, oh, what's going on with you? You know, what's up with you? I, I just find that bizarre, right? You would think a CT tech would know better than to say that, you know? Or any health professional, right? I mean... Like, it's none of your business. Stay in your yeah. life. Yeah. <laughs> in a straight line. It's really not yeah. hard. Yeah, yeah. You think, right? You think, you think you know that, you know, this is probably, you know, just yeah, don't don't bother. It's not it's not the way to to um, to deal with things, is it? Like um, you know, it's their business, their life. Don't don't get involved. Um, I mean, talking about um, some other. I mean, I just want to move on to this one because I thought this is quite a nice one and maybe brings us slightly away from sort of discri- we've been talking about discrimination a bit. Um, Medlife crisis. Our good friend Rohan uh, was talking about a reviewer for a paper. Uh, so I'll read it. A reviewer for a paper I submitted suggested twelve additional references. Okay, no big deal but they all had the same first author who we'd already cited several times. So it was obviously him. Googling reveals he has 50,000 citations. I guess I can see how. So for those of you that don't really understand what that means is that this paper went to get, um, you know, looked at and uh, assessed. And then the person, whoever was assessing it said, you need to cite uh, pay these particular, this particular author or something. And when they looked into all that person had loads of citations. And so basically what could be happening, I'm not saying this is what's happening, but they could be trying to push their own supply. Yeah, of course. This is uh, this is widespread. And you know, um, when you submit a paper to a journal, um, they often will sometimes send stuff back to you and be like, you need more citations from, and they'll, they'll kind of suggest them and it will be from their own journal. And I think it's because they know, I mean, they know about interactions. They're playing the game in terms of like um, clicks and stuff. And so they, they want to be cited more. And it's all this, it all feeds into one another in terms of back scratching and whatever. It's pretty cynical, but it happens loads. It's really widespread. Have you, have you done very much like publication stuff? Is it something that's kind of a thing for a junior doctors these days? This counts as a publication, by the way. Burn <laughs> 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 CV. Honestly, I feel like everyone's just like, oh, but you need to publish. And I'm just like, oh. Mm. It just, this just reminds me of medical school, you know, when you're in whatever class and the tutor is just like, but you have to read this book. This book is like the best book on the reading list and you look mm. into it and it's their book. And like, <laughs> the 9,000 pounds wasn't enough for you. Can you not yeah. just teach me? Mm. Like, why do I, I need to buy a book? Which, which uni did you go to, by the way? Are we not allowed to say? I went to Glasgow. 
Oh, you went to Glasgow because similar happened at UCL. We had, uh, I think, uh, yeah, one particular lecturer kept pushing his book, and you know, I bought it because I want to pass his exams. And I think it could have been the one that I did pass in the end, uh, maybe because uh, you know, lined his pockets. Book. He had terrible yeah. diagrams. I remember. Didn't we like? Wasn't there like a joke every year that he'd come like he had like a Ferrari or a helicopter and stuff? And then yeah, yeah. And they had, <laughs> yeah. And they kept, yeah, yeah, they of, he kept releasing new versions of his book, and they're all just kind of the same thing, but just with slightly less terrible pictures each time. <laughs> um, yeah it's it's strange isn't it i mean it's it's interesting to see that the different kind of levels of hustle that there are out there isn't it like you know in terms of publications and stuff the kind of you know you think to yourself oh, i'm going to try and you know get myself published put something good out into the world maybe uh you know better the world of science and uh, health and actually there's another underlying hustle like i want to get cited i want to get cited i want people to know who i am i need to push myself onto certain things but then there's been other hustles that have been you know that's come to light of over recent times it's been to do with the mps isn't it you know with their oh, expenses hustles. yeah yeah i mean what a, what a hustle i mean that is uh yeah through you want to tell you've us? got to read this one out so this is a tweet yeah, by on. shivani He's quote tweeting Nadim Zahawi. Um, I think he was like the um, vaccines minister or something, but his background's in commerce, so he could see, mm. it makes complete sense that he was put in charge of the vaccine. Uh, mm. He was paid <laughs> £1.3 million from an oil company to consult whilst working as an MP, which was kept hidden due to a parliamentary loophole, but was unable to afford £5,822 to heat his horse stables. So claimed it on expenses from their taxpayer. But the horses, they've got to be our first priority, guys. I can't yeah, exactly. believe you've got, you, you missed that. <laughs> yeah. Imagine, how, yeah. how does it cost five that much? Like, that would, that would, that would heat my house for, like, 50 years <laughs> or something ridiculous. I mean, how many horses were there? Or, like, what kind of heating did they have? Like, I've just got, like, a picture of, like, cute little water bottles or something on horses. Like, <laughs> just, what the hell is going on? Could you imagine having that job? I've got to fill the horse water bottles yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting cold I'll be 100 pounds an hour please yeah bosh what yeah oh, I'd do it for that kind of money but anyway yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but like yeah. uh, it's just amazing isn't it because like there wasn't there like there's another video out there of like Owen Patterson the guy who's lining his pockets and he kind of made some comment about how he was like oh some people will be a little bit too pleased to get tw- an extra 20 pounds an hour on their benefits and it's like mate and then he was talking about how like if some people get removed from their second jobs some people might have to adjust their lifestyle and it's like, oh yes, oh, no. your horses, your horses might have to like, I don't know, have like gas instead of like, I don't know, air conditioning <laughs> or something. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, it's 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 completely crazy, isn't it? Um, yeah, um, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? The, I mean, it's just a, sort of some level of luxury and what they think is sort of uh, almost an acceptable. I think they must get used to a certain level of living, right? And then you know anything below that is probably not acceptable. And you know when when you've got horses to worry about, I can imagine it's a very um, very uh, stressful thing. But you know, kind of going down the sort of, sort of capitalistic um, sort of idea uh, ideology, I guess there was a what you guys sent a TikTok on WhatsApp uh, to us. Oh, yeah. Do you remember this one? Yeah. Um, um, Ivy, do you remember this one? Did you send yeah. this to us? Yeah. Why didn't you tell us about it? Wait, was this the one where that guy from the think tank wanted to get yes. rid of the NHS? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why don't you tell us about that? Go on, you tell oh, us. It's just when he's going on about how like the NHS fails all the young people, you know, and how everyone's just waiting and waiting for like their scans. And I'm just like, but, you know, you look at America mm. where, you know, you die because you can't get insulin, mm. you know? Yeah. And he forgets that healthcare is, it's a human right, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So we're referencing a video by this guy called Yaron Brook, 
who's from this capitalist think tank called in Ayn Rand. Well, he was anyway. He, I think he's left it now. But um, he was kind of lecturing some Scottish, I think they were Scottish medical students, weren't they? Mm, and you could see that yeah, they were getting really yeah. upset because he was chatting a whole lot of breeze. But basically mm. he was like, saying, oh, you young people, you young people, you don't need to use NHS. So that's what, you know, it's great for you guys. Whereas like, mm. if you have like a heart attack and you need an MRI, and I'm like, well, heart attack and need an MRI? What's, what's he on about? And, you know, and you could just tell like, it's just complete conjecture, like baseless nonsense, but it kind of sounds pithy. But it's one of those things where with any scrutiny, you can just see mm. it's just, it's just kind of hubris. It's just rubbish. Well, um, um, I, I thought, you know, I was thinking about this uh, quite a lot actually after watching it. And I thought this is going to be potentially for me to get cancelled, but I thought I should probably just say something that I thought while watching it uh, and maybe a different perspective. Um, uh, basically, the thing is, when you watch it, he is talking about like the capitalism versus basically, you know, government led uh, situation. Right. And I think like um, I think everyone takes what from what I mean, obviously, I don't agree with most of what he said, but I, I kind of see what he's trying to say, like because um, he's talking about like the incentives to be better. Right. So the problem is, like, he, he is right on some level that a lot of innovation comes from, you know, the capitalist uh, sort of situation where people are trying to outdo each other. Like, you know, Pfizer trying to make the best drug for this and this other company trying to make the best drug for this. And that pushes them because generally speaking, a big motivator is money. Profit and money is a very, very big motivator. But when you come to sort of a more government led situation, like you're not really motivated by money. Like, you know, for me to give you a, a scan or not give you a scan doesn't make a difference to me or my underlying pocket. And therefore I'm not incentivized to, to let people get scanned more often. And also, it's also the reason why, you know, you go to one hospital and the receptionist might be rude to you. And you don't think to yourself, I'm gonna to go to the next hospital where the receptionist is nice to me. You don't really have that choice. There's no, there's no incentive to try and make things better. But there are flaws to both sides, right? Because you could go to work and I can almost guarantee you there'll be someone in your department or someone that you've met that you think like, they don't do very much and they're not getting fired. Now you try and do the same thing in the private sector, you get fired very, very quickly. Like my wife who did work in the private sector, they would get a text message in the morning and say, don't come into work. We're closing down your department. You're closing down this particular business. You're done. You know, there'd be no, and they'd have to be escorted out because obviously there were situations where people would either, you know, harm themselves by going to the top of the building or they'd go and try and ruin something. So they actually had guards like security escort them out of the building to make sure they wouldn't do anything once they got fired. But the point is like, it's difficult to motivate people to continue to try and be better and make things better is difficult. And usually, you know, on the grand scheme of things, it seems to be that uh, a capitalistic thing seems to push uh, innovation in a lot of ways. Why, you know, he was right. Like Apple phones have got cheaper or the phones have got better and cheaper and now they can be in your hands. Without that kind of competition between each other, that phone would not be in your hands anytime soon. It would still be, you know, like Steve Jobs would be sitting there thinking, well, I'm getting paid for doing Jack. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to carry on doing what I'm doing. It's not a big problem. There's faults to both sides. The problem with that, though, is the lens that you're applying to it is, the, is that lens of capitalism, which is that mm. um, you're, you're looking at, well, the only incentive with it, within capitalism is, is money and therefore... Mm. Um, and so therefore, like, that's the only reason for, but, uh, so you're basically like money is the only incentive because money is the only incentive because you're operating that in that framework. But if you mm. look like there, there's some really good books by Yuval Noah Harari, which talk about mm. like, you know, capitalism hasn't been around like for, you know, throughout human history. If you think about mm. kind of like in the year a thousand, um, mm. there was like a famous surgeon, Al Zawari, and he put, he published a 1,500 illustrated encyclopedia of surgery. That wasn't wow. in a, a capital. This is in an Islamic society. It's not. This is mm. not in a, a capitalist society. Um, that that wasn't based on. He didn't do that 
because he was like, this is going to earn me more money. So mm. the problem is, is that when you operate, if you're thinking within a capitalist framework, then yes, like, of course, like that's, and I guess at the moment, that's what we're all kind of stuck in. But I don't think that's necessarily the only way to, to change to change it. But mm. I, I think I think if the, there's something fundamentally wrong here. And if you think about the way it is going with like um, capitalism and automation, for example, um, I think money is going to be less and less of an incentive for innovation as time goes on because there'll be there'll be many fewer ways for us to generate money as workers because mm. of automation. So like. I think for, for now, yes, money is an incentive. And certainly if you look at the way that arguments are framed, they, they do focus on the pe- the stragglers, like the people who should get sacked because they don't do enough work. You know, it, in current society anyway, it's benefits fraud, isn't it? That's the, that's the people mm. that kind of the attention is focused on. But again, that's mm. within a capitalist mindset. But I think these things go through phases. And uh, I want, uh, with automation and stuff, I don't, I don't think capitalism in its current form is, ha- is going to be the consistent... Uh, driving impetus forever throughout um, because it wasn't always going to be that way and I don't think it always will be well, it's starting to get a bit kind of yeah. I know I know I'm mean, just saying healthcare it gets complicated when it gets to healthcare that, that's the that's the problem right I mean you want healthcare to be free for everyone of course you do you want everyone to have the same opportunities as everyone else but I guess like I'm just saying that you know I'm not. I'm not saying where I work, but there, there have been some places where <laughs> some individuals aren't pulling their weight, and you think, well, why are they not pulling their weight? Because I know that I may know that in the private sector, they might be pulling their weight a lot more than they are at work. So, as you, you start to notice these things after a while, and you think, well, what's driving someone? Why are you Why are you so hard working there but not here? Why are you trying to not be here but over there and all this kind of stuff? And you start thinking, okay, well, fair enough. Like, but I mean, there, there are the massive flaws to this idea because he also says that um, the best doctors work in the private sector. It's like, well, that's not true. Yeah. Because then, yeah. if that was true, surely Harley Street would be coming out with the best, most amazing, most innovative things in the world. But yeah, so that's true. not true. Health mm-hmm. is not like that. It doesn't work like that. Because you go into you go for anyone that doesn't know this, if you want to go to Harley Street, you've got to know the right person to get you yeah. to Harley Street. It's not. You need to know Asim, don't you? Asim Mahotra. <laughs> <laughs> Start a Patreon. Start a Patreon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So is that you know with the whole kind of like um, what's the business case? Say if your heater stops working. Like, uh, where's the where's the profitability in that? I guess that's an issue, yeah. isn't it? Should we talk about that Ivy, one? Uh, yeah, go on, Ivy. Tell us about this. What what happened here? So basically, um, Michelle tweeted saying that the um, electric heater in the doctor's uncle room where she works broke and management's solution was just to remove it. <laughs> so they just left them in this cold little room. Yeah, bless. Um, oh. And they essentially had to fight to get a new heater. Mm. You've got some experience of that, don't you? Like some issue... Was it with chairs or something, right? Oh, <laughs> one of the chairs in our doctor's room broke and then they just didn't replace it. Right. And I Good had job. to like call up this help desk and essentially make my case of why I deserve to sit on a chair at work. <laughs> but they're not like, you can, you can sit on the uh, clinical waste bins or something. That's like, like something, something similar happened at the start of the block. My pager didn't work. So mm. I took it down to switchboard being like, this doesn't work. Can I have another one? And they were like, no. Oh, for God's sake. They were just like, how do you expect people to call me? And they were like, but we can't give you another page. And I was just like, but I need one. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Why would you ask? Like, just be like, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, what what happened? I mean, wasn't were you mentioning something about how like the, um, the crash light or something wasn't working and they had to put like a... Uh, 
like a, a not a date yeah. text, but a, a request to get the crash life yeah. or something. Yeah, <laughs> like we had student nurses who'd never heard the emergency buzzer before, so the nurse was like, "Okay, let's pull it so they can know, they know what it sounds like." We pulled it, and nothing happened. Oh no! And when we called, they were like, "But did you put the request through the help desk?" <laughs> I mean, which part did they want to request? The when when there's an emergency going on, you put a request to the help desk that the emergency yeah, happening. Yeah, could, yeah. You, uh, could you come and put the light in so we can now pull, pull the trigger to be able to get people in? <laughs> Time could is you, I could just imagine. I could just imagine someone's. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, they've got another emergency down there. Can we go downstairs and change that bulb, please? Um, it sounds like something that should be day text, don't you think? Um, ah, oh, oh, nice. nice. Yeah, go on. Um, okay, so we, I call this day text drama because this yeah. this tweet has different layers as well. So say so this is a tweet by Oli underscore Mesquita Mesquita. Sorry if I, if I mispronounced that. And that was um, posted on the fifteenth of November, about four oh six. Say one of the trainees reviewed a baby's eyes and thought they were normal. Baby comes back for unrelated reason, and the AHP allied health professional thinks that there's a cataract, apologise to the parents for the SHO's error, and completes a datex without feeding back to the SHO. Now the baby gets reviewed by ophthalmologists, who say, eyes are absolutely normal, no cataract. What happens to the datex? SHO only finds out about this after reading through notes and being intimated by other SHO. No one senior has discussed any of this with SHO. I mean, this is so NHS, isn't it? There's so much of this, it's so like, oh my gosh. Where do we start? Where do we start? Uh, have, you, have, you, have you ever been datexed or have you been seen or been partaking in datexing? I got datexed once because when I went back to this ward to pick up my water bottle after handover, I was changed, you know, car keys in my hand. They were like, oh, can you review this drug allergy? Patient's been on Tazacin for like a week. It's fine. And I was just like, I'm literally leaving, you know, like, can you call whoever's on now? You know, because obviously I didn't want to have to like, you know, essentially I would have to get changed to go and see the patient. And I was like, I'm not getting changed again for mm. someone who's well, mm. you know. And, you know, a week later I found out that I got datix for it. It's and crazy. Like, can, can you, yeah. isn't it like there's this kind of brazenness of it? Like when you've got like your coat on or whatever, like it doesn't seem to phase anyone. Like when they come up to you and ask you a question. Like, oh, sorry, just before you go. And like, <laughs> it would be different, you know, like if it was like a peri rest, like that's different. Yeah, and yeah. I was just mm. like, you just wanted me to do this so you could tick off your box. Absolutely. Um, but I remember there was a situation when I was doing surgery and I was leaving work and I was literally in the car, driving out the car park and then someone stood in the way and I thought, <laughs> no what's way. going on? Yeah, yeah, and they came up to the window and then they said, oh, sorry, I was trying to catch you, but you'd walked off and I was like, okay. <laughs> That's amazing. And they gave me these drug charts. They gave me drug Whoa. charts. And I was like, all oh, right, okay. So do then you, I just sat. Do you wind the silent. window like halfway? <laughs> I did. I, I was. Like, I, I mean, I said to her, "Well, I've got to admire the fact that you uh, you went this far. I mean, that's impressive. You know, you actually waited outside for my car. Yeah. So I signed. I signed the, the fluids off, and then she was really happy and walked off. And I was like, "All right, cool. I mean, she, I, I recognise. That's probably why I stopped. But um, that's yeah, amazing. There you go. What if you hadn't have stopped and you just kept going, and she's just like on your windscreen, like, like, <laughs> the fluids, please. <laughs> the windscreen wipers, like on, and the charts, like. <laughs> I would have started spraying the car. There's your fluids. Get off my car! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, my uh, That's honestly, yeah. Uh, that's, that's some commitment yeah. to the patient there. Those that no, that's that, needed prescribing. <laughs> that, I admired it. That's why I said, you know, what? I admire the commitment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sign that off. There you go, mate. Uh, I mean, yeah, no worries. No she worries. She took a calculated um, risk. 
Yeah, there you go. I mean, we're talking about commitment, um, actually. And there was um, another thing that turned up on the, the news about sort of, um, you know, a paramedic. They commit to being a paramedic. You know, you know what it takes to be a paramedic, right? Um, and they train to do that job. And all of a sudden, paramedics are being asked to, what, start lighten up the GP's work by doing home visits. Is that what they're saying now? That came up in the papers, didn't it? The Guardian, uh, which I don't have a, a script, subscription to, but you know, um, it came up there. But we've seen similar situations, haven't we? We've seen it with the GPs. Well, you know, make the GPs do it. You know, not as though they've got anything else to do. As if the paramedics got nothing else to do, running around trying to, you know, pick people up and help people. So the GPs are overworked, the paramedics are overworked. We'll get the GPs to drive the ambulances and the paramedics to do the GPs jobs. We just swap them around. Yeah. Can, can you imagine? It's, it's like you've got like a jigsaw puzzle and you're missing a piece, but you're just like rearranging all the other pieces. And like, this isn't working. We, we've got to try like a different combination and they're just moving the pieces around. Like, Can oh. you imagine? Um, could you imagine they did that anywhere else, like in surgery, and the surgeons overworked? Like, oh, okay, are uh, you already overworked? Are you, like, can we just swap places? You, the F one with the, yeah. the scrub nurse. If you just all swap places, yeah, it'll exactly. be all right. It'll yeah, be fine. Yeah, shows. you know, you get some new energy into this situation. Um, yeah, Ivy, think? what do you think? Uh, I just think it's wild. You know, like I just feel like the government just wants to patch like something like they haven't fixed the issue, and they're like, you know what? Let's just patch this problem onto someone else. Like they can go and deal with it. Yeah. And mm. it's just like. You know that all the patients waiting in ambulances to be seen, which is, of course, it's unacceptable. And they're like, but we'll create arrival lounges at A&E. No, so no. like, <laughs> where's the doctor and the nurse to like manage the patient, but the, the arrival lounge. Yeah. I do yeah, like the sound of arrival lounges because I really like them at airports. Have you ever used one, a departure lounge? Like, um, you know, where they, they have like breakfast. Yeah. yeah, like with like breakfast yeah. and stuff. But well, it wouldn't be like that. Breakfast, though, yeah, exactly. You know, you probably get an NHS toast, which... <laughs> yeah, a Rice Krispies already, Breck, isn't it? That's what they have oh, in the NHS. My hospital does pancakes in the evening. No way! And they notch. Oh, that's amazing. Pancakes. Yeah, like, you got to find a nurse that will pity you on a back shift who gives you a pancake. Oh, wow. wow. That is that's That amazing. is good. Sure. That is good. Are, Are you in Scotland? Yeah, uh, I, the patient's got like a stir fry for dinner and I joked that I was jealous and then someone went and actually ordered like another meal from the kitchen. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. You That's must, so nice. No, no. You must be genuinely lovely to work with when they're doing stuff like that for you because they don't do that for everyone. Oh. Yeah, no, seriously. No, that's yeah, really yeah. nice. Oh, oh, I try yeah. my best. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen in radiology. Definitely. <laughs> 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 you can have a coffee machine. Yeah, this guy to have my coffee machine. Uh, 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 <laughs> that's also true. Yeah, that's also true. You know, uh, I'm not denying that. My shifts on the phone to medical, be like, please, can I have the scan? Please. <laughs> and out of interest, how often did they say no to that scan? Not very often. Exactly. And why do you think that is? <laughs> <laughs> they're getting those dollars. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Kaching. Follow the money. They don't. They're not going to say no to that. Of course they're not. It's just more. It's just more money that goes flying out their way. The whole. The whole industry is. I mean, I, I work a lot in uh, teleradiology, and um, I just find the whole thing so balmy and, and like just crazy but anyway it is what it is it is what it is mm. speaking of following the money i guess so there was a really really good thread which i really recommend like checking out it kind of centers on an article by mancunian medic so he's uh, david oliver he's an amu consultant um i originally saw it from a tweet from um at trisha underscore 
the underscore doc and she posted about it on at nine o'clock in the morning on november the 13th if you want to search for it and basically it talks about how we were just kind of completely gaslighted and lied to basically let down by the politicians and planners about ppe adequate ppe and it was like you know loads of concerns are raised and you're pretty much just made to feel like you're overreacting and being totally crazy that you go you could go into into a room with just a mask and a, a plastic apron on and there's all this stuff about aerosol generating procedures which all kind of turned out to be nonsense like we think about it, like when someone's coughing or whatever and you know that's just as kind of um harmful um as kind of i don't know putting an you mentioned an ng tube down so you see when you started your f1 things were really kind of kicking off ivy right um yeah so i did the interim post so that was like april through to just before f1 started last year right and yeah it was just weird because you know it, the guidance changed like every day and then you know people like trust wouldn't be keeping up with it hmm. but then like an ng tube i think it still is if you don't know the patient's covid negative honestly i don't know the, the rules change every day yeah. but yeah we would have to wear like all the ppe for an ng tube but then you know you'd see in a and e that you'd be seeing a covid positive patient you know yeah. but you're wearing a plastic apron and a paper mask yeah this doesn't make any sense yeah I mean, I mean, you you're saying through you drive past a whole lot of people, yeah, like every day. Yeah, so this this is really prominent to me. So so Suffolk is the grounds for where I think they spent like a billion or something on a PPE that was never fit for purpose, and it was basically from some Tory donor. And there are just a whole load of shipping crates, a whole load of them, uh, on my drive to work. I drive past every day, just sat there doing absolutely nothing, <laughs> and it costs a million pounds a day. That's probably also going to a Tory donor, just sat there. And so I've just got this stuff reminder of it when I'm driving past at like 6.30am just looking at that just sat there just doing nothing and God, a million pounds a day man is it anywhere on the planet that costs a million pounds a day you look at Chelsea and all these places yeah, yeah, yeah. you could be living very nicely <laughs> for a it's lot less than wild. that yeah. like do you remember when the government were like we have this many billion pieces of PPE and they were counting individual gloves be like yes yeah. this PPE <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you were saying that they were you, they were literally gone round the sticky stickers, right, onto the on the PP that you saw, right? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like they changed the expiry date. Yeah, that became and, like, the quite Scottish a big government deal. Government had it? to come out and be like, "But we tested it." Mm. Like, yeah, I wonder if they're going to look back one day and just be like, "Yeah, yeah." I mean, the clip there wasn't enough. We didn't know what we were doing, and uh, yeah, and, people died. But yeah, people died. It was bad. It was very, very bad. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, talking uh, about sort of, um, uh, we were talking about um, Dr. Glaukenflecken this week, weren't we? Yeah. There was something like, um, we were feeling some bad, something bad that happened to him uh, yeah. a while ago, though. It was a while ago, but, yeah. you know, it was something quite bad that happened to him. Yeah. Um, you were saying through. Yeah, so um, he suffered a cardiac arrest in his sleep. And um, it's kind of been fairly well like publicized. Like his his wife heard him breathing peculiarly, or noticed a change in his breathing pattern, and f- f- couldn't feel his pulse. And um, I think they even put it on Twitter, like um, like uh, her call to the dis- the nine one one dispatcher who talked her through how to do chest compressions. So she did chest compressions, and uh, he ended up going to hospital. And then he's he's subsequent. I think he's got an uh, implantable defibrillator and stuff. And mm. um, it's amazing now. I mean, I think they do a lot of promotion for um, knowing how to do CPR and stuff. And so if people out there are listening who aren't medics, oh my God, you're listening to our podcast. But anyway, like, please learn how to do CPR. It's really important. <laughs> but yeah. I thought it was kind of interesting because he jokes about it because he's. He, I think he's. He also had 
had cancer, I think, and he mentions that too um, as a young mm. man. And um, but the thing is, is that he jokes about it, and I just kind of wondered about the thread and how it must feel. I mean, he's obviously very kind of in the public eye. He's almost he's like a, he's a celebrity, isn't he? Like he's kind of a bit of a comedian. Mm. And he did this tweet that said, "Had a life insurance physical yesterday. I told the woman about my cancer history. Then I hit her with a cardiac arrest. Then I asked what my chances are, and we laughed and laughed." And the thing is, is that he does make a joke about it. But the, th- the thing that kind of got me, though, is just that, um, I mean, it is, we know that there's lots of kind of um, psychological like implications after people have cardiac arrest, especially for a, y- a really young person. And I was just looking at all the replies, which were all just kind of like, just kind of banterishly kind of joking about his cardiac arrest. And I'm like, actually, you know what? That's a really hard situation to be in. He's talking about life insurance for his children. He's got young children. And I just mm. kind of felt a bit bad for him. And I know that he's kind of like setting up the joke. So I guess people just kind of want to be in on it and they all kind of see him as a friend and approachable and stuff. It kind of just feels a bit hard to read. Um, I know, I mean, or maybe I'm being oversensitive, you know. I mean, he's doing quite a, a, an amazing thing because I know, I think if it was me, I probably wouldn't want to talk about that stuff because I think it'd be a very difficult subject, especially, you know, like, especially to put my wife, you know, for that to happen to my wife, it'd be quite a traumatic thing. So, he's, you know, you've got to rate the guy as usual for amongst many things, but you've got to rate him for putting himself out there to try and make a difference given the, the, given the fact he went through something so difficult. But I think it's just the nature of the, the world we live in now where, um, you know, if you put yourself out there, people are going to feel like they can joke with you about certain certain things like that. And, um, you know, we don't know whether it is a, I mean, I can't imagine it being a nice memory, right? Like for wife and him, but they're, they're putting themselves out there and um, and talking about it and hopefully to make a difference. You've got to rate, rate someone for that. Yeah. And people are playing along with it, which is which is uh, interesting, I guess, isn't it? The I, way know, they like, interact I just with find it wild that like, you know, like out of hospital cardiac arrests have been like quite, They've been in the media quite a lot, you know, mm. like since Ericsson had his arrest at the Euros, mm. you know, yeah. and I just think that it's just wild that after all of this stuff that's been going on in the media, that people think that you can make a joke up about it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, totally. You know? And we know that the kind of long term, there are lots of like psychological uh, impacts and stuff just by by virtue of having in a, had an arrest. We know that hypoxia and stuff has lots of kind of effects on uh, attention and uh, mood. There's links to depression. And that's just from the kind of physical nature of having had a cardiac arrest. But like I've got like a third hand story of some guy who suffered a cardiac arrest in his porch. And I think he had chest discomfort before it happened. And after that, he felt when he got better and he, uh, he, he couldn't actually physically walk back into his house, but they weren't in a position to sell the house. So he started to live in a caravan in his driveway because he couldn't go back into the house oh, again. He just felt really? Like, yeah. Um, so like, you know, these things, they, they're, they're just, um, we just don't understand how they, you know, how they can affect people. But, they, you know, it's a big deal, isn't it? People feel like dead men walking, dead people walking. Yeah, yeah I mean, it must be tougher at um, Dr. G. Uh, especially with his life insurance thing, you know, like um, he's trying to obviously get life insurance and stuff and it doesn't sound like it's going to be particularly easy mm. in that situation, right? Like, um, you know, um, it's going to be, it's going to be different. But, you know, like Dr. G's quite, you know, you, we can see how talented he is, isn't it? Like he's a very, very talented individual, very, Indeed. very funny. He's got a background of comedy. You do wonder whether, you know, I do sometimes wonder, like, is he going to carry on? Is he going to, is he going to jump ship? Is he going to, is he going to quit and just do something else? Um, and there was an interesting thread that came up on Reddit, actually, uh, saying, you know, people, it says, look, all this talks of alternative careers and exits to medicine. I thought it'd be interesting to see the path that ex-medics took 
uh, be it quitting med school or postgraduate years. So, I mean, have you, uh, Ivy, I mean, you, you left medical school a lot sooner than we did. I mean, did everyone go into medicine and practice medicine or do you know anyone that decided to leave halfway or straight after after but not CCTing, getting a degree? Yeah. <laughs> as far as I know, everyone went and did F1. Oh. Okay. But yeah. like, oh, wow. I think you do hear like, you know, at work people being like, you know, I, like that, especially now with COVID and everything that's happened, how they feel like they can't do this forever. Mm. Yeah, know? I think COVID I mean, must be a tough, right? Like I, I've got a family f- um, friend who's actually probably the same year as you. And she keeps saying, I think I keep hearing um, that the COVID thing was very tougher and she might take a year out and just do something else for a while. Well, that's my plan next back, year. Yeah. Like I'm going to locum next year and I'm just going to you know see where life takes me. I think mm. I will always end up coming back to medicine, but like, mm. I don't know. I think it's hard because you don't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. But then you, especially like the people who were F1s when COVID hit and you hear about how like good the start of their F1 was. And you know, Mm -hmm. when I started F1, it was literally illegal to hang out with your pals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So down. Yeah. Depressing. Do you think you're locum where you are at the moment? Like, is that a good place? Yeah, I think for now I'll stay in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Mm. But I think eventually, it'll probably be post-CCT, I think I'll end up coming back to London. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was literally thinking the other day, like, um, you know, obviously, you know, I, I do like my job a lot, actually. But um, I was thinking, God, you know, if there was a job that I could go back to, what would it be? And it's actually, strange enough, it would be the back of the uni gym being the receptionist. That was, a, you know, more than a decade ago. But that was actually the most fun I've had in a long, long time. It was really, <laughs> like... You know, it was just really cool. You're there, you're talking to people, you get to meet lots of people, you get to the gym before work, after yeah. work, you know, some solid gains, man. Yeah. And now it's like, yeah, try and squeeze it in between wherever and, you know, sometimes not go at all. It's, um, yeah. Well, Ivy, you had yeah. a you had a surprise kind of when we asked um, what you would do if you weren't doing medicine. So can you tell us what you'd do? I'd want to do sports. So mm. I've done cheerleading and gymnastics. I'd, I'd want to do sport. Yeah. So what is it? What is the what is it about cheerleading? Honestly, I just find it honestly I find it just so energizing, you know. Mm. You you, tr- you literally just train to put out this one performance, you know, and you want to hit all of your skills, all of your tumbles, your dance. Like I mainly love the tumbling parts. Right. I don't cheerleading honestly it's just it's just such a good sport for me is the environment because i always well i guess like my my kind of understanding is really limited and all i really think about is like high school musical or you know like kind of like really peppy <laughs> which is awesome <laughs> I, think, I think of like really peppy people but then i kind of worry with that kind of environment whether it'd be full of like mean girls and stuff i mean is that it actually we, isn't yeah are people like, really positive when, like my cheerleading team like Obviously, some people are peppy people, but you know, like half the team are guys who are like, you know, like they're Stack. built. Yeah. You know, and it's obviously it's literally just hanging, like hanging out with your pals. Yeah, fair enough. Well, mm. I mean, so we were kind of talking about this in response to a thread which was on Junior Doctors UK Reddit, and you know, we wanted to say mm. something positive about that Reddit because there's lots of good things there. Um, but this is a, a thread that was posted four days ago. What are your friends who quit medicine doing now? And uh, it did because I guess now Imran and I are kind of getting to be rather old. And so we do know people who've kind of done other stuff. And I, I, um, I know one guy who quit and he went into pharma um, and mm. he's, he's really happy. He's you know, got a company car and stuff. And I think he kind of, um, he oversees like phase three clinical trials. He was talking to me about it. And all I was thinking mm. about was his company car. I was like, oh, you know, I, just, I, was, I, was waiting, <laughs> I was waiting for him to pause to be like, what car have you got? What car have you got? Um, <laughs> 
But um, it sounds really good. He was like, oh, you know, uh, we get like a taxi to and from work if it's a bit late and, you know, meals and stuff. And I was just thinking, oh, wow, wow, what was that mm. like? Um, so I didn't actually pay enough attention to what the job was actually like. But um, yeah. it sounds like you're stuck in the well. car. <laughs> but I mean, we had someone, we had someone that joined their father's uh, company. It was like a, quite a big company that um, used to supply cookers to big restaurants. Yeah. So we had someone who did that. And then uh, we went to uni with Holly Branson. Um, she she quit medicine. Fair enough. I was surprised she was even yeah around. I would I wouldn't have done it if I was um, Richard Branton's. Uh, anyway, and um, <laughs> who else? <laughs> oh, we had one guy that was in a band for a while. Do you remember Noah the Whale? Uh, he oh. was a drummer for the band. Yeah, yeah. So he was a, he was a drummer for a band called Noah the Whale. They were they had some proper hits, the top ten, top twenty uh, band hits. Are really great tracks. But I think he came back to medicine. Actually, I don't know what he's doing now, but uh, he came back to medicine in the oh. end. Uh, who else can I think of? We had a few people. Uh, oh yeah, a good friend of mine. He actually decided uh, he's now a management consultant. I think uh, lives in Germany now um, with his wife. Uh, he quit. He didn't. Even, he didn't even do F one, F two. He just said, I'm, "I've had enough. Of this. I'm out. I'm done." You know, and he, he left straight away. But you know, fair enough. Like, um, it's not for everyone, and um, some people. You know, don't don't want to jump on the treadmill. I do feel like it is a treadmill, though. Like once you carry on, you kind of just carry on and you carry on. I and mean, that's what happened to me. Like I wasn't entirely happy, but once you're in, you're in. And just you know, next thing to do is this, and the next thing to do is this, next exam to do is this, next application is this, and then next you know you're at the end. Um, yeah, but I have to say, I mean, for both you guys, um, getting to the end is actually really nice. I mean, obviously it depends on where you work and what you do. But even when I speak to people who have left, and when you actually listen to what they get up to. They're, they work hard, man. They're, and they're, you know, like at least with, let's say you do a night shift in medicine, right? You do get the next day. At least you get the next day. But with, well, when my wife used to do the nights, when they were doing deals and stuff, there was no stop. It was like, you just keep going and keep going. And then you've got to be back in like nine o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning to keep going. And depends on when the markets are open. It's just completely crazy mm. and really takes a lot out of them. Uh, and I mean, yes, I guess as a monetary, there is a monetary kickback from that, but sometimes they just look at them and think, I'm not sure it's worth it, mate. I mean, it's just, it's too much. It's just too much work, honestly. It's completely crazy. Um, Thrushy, there was one particular tweet you wanted to go for, wasn't there? Do you remember? Oh. It was a cardiology one. This is like the most cardiology tweet you like. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about this. And both, I like me and Ivy were like, okay, Thrusha, we'll talk about cardiology yeah, for yeah, you. Totally. So, give him his moment. Yeah, yeah okay, let's you, give him his you. moment. Yeah, I put it up twice and you guys were both like silent and I was like, oh, this is not as interesting as I think it is, is it? <laughs> <laughs> but basically it's a tweet by... Yeah. I mean, it's it's not really in my interest. In fact, it's probably count, it's definitely counter to my interest, I suppose. Um, so there's a, a tweet by Professor Chris P. Gale. So his handle's at CPGale3. And it was tweeted at six, 10 past six in the morning. Yeah, cardiologist. November uh, <laughs> the 14th. And it says, uh, so that he tweeted about a discussion about the merits of PCI in stable coronary artery disease. And it's interesting because a lot of our studies and stuff basically focus on mortality. And the reason why I thought that was kind of interesting is because when you kind of phrase that to a patient who has symptoms of angina and you kind of go uh, stents and angioplasty don't make you live longer they only like prevent people from complaining of chest pain or coming to hospital but if you try and like sell or at least say the tablets are better from that perspective because they're you know much fewer risks compared to like that of angioplasty most of them will say, well, I don't want to take tablets for the rest of my life. I'd rather have angioplasty. But all our studies, uh, and all our, part of the thing, this thread, was where people were going, we don't talk about like the endpoints enough. Like, we don't talk about mortality enough. And, you know, oh, you know, what about the mortality benefits? And actually, it's kind of a completely different uh, conversation that 
um, cardiologists as doctors are kind of focusing on compared to really what the kind of patients want. But there's just like a really funny reply, this little exchange that uh, Dr. Benoit Shah, he, he's, a, he's not an interventional cardiologist, he's kind of a, an imaging cardiologist. But there's this guy, there's a cardiologist who's uh, obviously an angioplasty doctor and he goes, not sure who needs to hear this, but sometimes PCI really helps people, was his tweet. And then someone replied going, people equals cardiologists? Question mark. <laughs> and um, you can see the reply goes, I'm not here for this energy. And <laughs> so I'm like, oh, fair I love enough, that. mate. Fair I love enough. That. I love but that. it's just like, it's just this, it's, it, um, it made me think. And the reason why I thought it was interesting was not just because it's cardiology, although that's probably 99% of it, but it's more like <laughs> the, the, the fact that we have all these kind of cerebral discussions where like, oh, cardiovascular mortality, is that different to all-cause mortality? And like patients are like, we don't like, yeah, okay, fine. We, don't, we know it doesn't affect either, but we don't want to have symptoms anymore. And that's really, really important to us. And we're, we're just, the cardiologists are kind of brushing that to a side as if it means nothing. And it's just really fun. It's just, I think it's really funny. But that was yeah, it. Thanks. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> 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 oh, I'm so glad I got I'm that. I'm really glad we. Uh, Ivy, what's your opinion on this cardiology issue? You, you tell us. I'm going to throw this towards. Do cardiology, please. <laughs> I never experienced it myself, but I assume chest pain really hurts. You know, and I feel like yeah. that's what's important to the patient. You know. Yeah. Yes. Convert. Okay, well, there, there are a few go. other interesting threads. <laughs> like, there's this other yeah. one uh, from Blondie Mama. I like that t- uh, that handle. Uh, so, uh, Helen Metcalf, she's a GP. And she says, where do you stand on being asked to do a letter that, you know, someone is fit to do a marathon or Ironman or an extreme sport? I think people should sign their own disclaimer. And we can provide a statement of medical conditions if needed. But these letters are inappropriate. What do you guys think about that kind of... Um, I mean, that's kind of a relatively recent thing, I think. Signing people. Yeah, I mean, you were saying about your your phone, or your watch, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah you've so got a consult doctor. Got an Apple Watch, and as I was setting it up, it was literally like, "Oh, make sure you go and see a medical professional before you start exercising." And mm. I thought like it's literally just a way for companies to absolve themselves of blame if a consumer sues them, being like, "Well, I had an MI because I started exercising because of your product." Yeah, mm. well, that's what it feels yeah. like. Yeah. yeah, of course it is. It isn't really it? Yeah. does, and I just feel like. I don't know. I just feel like GPs get dumped with like everything in healthcare, mm. you know? So like, I can see where they're coming from being like, why do I need to do this? Like, mm. if you have common sense, like, please use it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love those things when they say, oh, please consult a doctor. I was like, hmm, I'm a doctor. Imran? Yeah, I'm taking that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I always find it, I mean, I, obviously, I mean, I, I am into exercise and thankfully I do, I mean, thankfully, I, I do musculoskeletal radiology. And so when I do get patients come in and they say to me, look, you know, doc, can I still go to the gym? And plus as someone who goes to the gym as well, like fairly regularly, like I do know what they're talking about. I, knew, I know the exercise that they can avoid. I do come from some sort of area of knowledge, but then I think, well, you know, I've got colleagues who've never been to a gym and they might be asked, oh, can I do this bicep curl? And I mean, what do they say? They're not going to, you know, as medical professionals, we're not really told about, you know, you know, sports medicine. That's an entire different subspecialty, isn't it? But we're almost expected to make, the, you know, GPs and all these people are expected to make decisions as to whether someone can carry on doing whatever they're doing, which is, which is impossible, right? Like, how are you going to tell them that? Yeah. Without being part of your training. I mean, uh, it's, it's really complicated, isn't it? Like, so there is a subspecialty within cardiology. So there is sports cardiology and it does look at the kind of the effects of exercise. And they do say that, you know, marathon runners do have a slightly, there 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 is a greater um, proportion of marathon runners who develop atrial fibrillation. Um, is that, you know, 
can be really, really difficult. And then this this kind of whole this whole writing certificates to say people are fit for things um, is increasingly difficult. Like with the Apple Watch example, we are seeing people who might have, you know, what do we do if it shows that they have three seconds of atrial fibrillation? Like, do we know if that is if that is like a stroke risk or not? I remember seeing a guy who, as part of a Bupa health check, had an ECG and the ECG was abnormal. He had no symptoms at all, but he's understandably vexed now because he's like, my ECG is abnormal. I've got, a, and, there's, and he said, the Bupa person said I've got a heart condition. I'm like, you know, we've got this whole, all these people that we're investigating. You were saying about scans and stuff, all these incidental omits. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's exactly what happens, right? Like we, we keep scanning and then because part of my job is to pick up the small things, we pick up the small things that are slightly enlarged adrenal gland and then you end up scanning the adrenal gland and it just keeps going and going and going. And so um, we're seeing that. And I think, um, I think at this point, because we don't investigate every single person on the planet, we don't know what the variability of normal is, right? We don't know that, you know, three seconds of VT could be normal for, for a lot of people. We just don't know that. And so all we have is pathology and if it looks like something pathological, we take it to the extreme. We we investigate it to the to the absolute ends of the earth until we're one hundred percent sure it's. And I don't know what's driving it. Is mm. it technology being sued? I feel like it's litigation. Yeah, it must because be. you know in America, you know, if you miss something like that, and someone's like, "Well, now I don't have a job," and they now sue you, mm. you know, like I feel like litigation's a huge driver behind these kind of things. Yeah, it does. I, I definitely think it kind of one feeds into the other because the technology is kind of increasingly we're kind of. Uh, we are recording more and more biometric data, aren't we? And again, I know I mentioned him already. This uh, this author, uh, you are Noel Harari, but he, he's this book, uh, which I'm reading at the moment, which is what um, which I keep talking about. But it's uh, 20, 21 lessons for the twenty first century. And basically, he was saying about how in the future, in the not too distant future, like our kind of understanding of disease. Um, or illness anyway, is going to be much, much wider because we have more biometric data, like we're going to pick up on illnesses way, way earlier. So we'll be counter sicker sooner because they'll be like, oh, this this change in your physiology is a precursor to something maybe 10 stages down the line. But then that you, that you might start receiving treatment for it way, way earlier as a way of avoiding something way, way further down the line. And that itself gives rise to lots of other treatments, but also how we define illness is going to be really, because there's going to be lots of like, it's like thought crimes, isn't it? Like pre, uh, like interventions really, really early on. It's really weird, isn't it? And also the, uh, your mental health as well. I mean, you know, mm. you, you could either, I mean, the way you can see it is I could spend 10 years thinking I'm healthy and having a nice life and doing all the things I love to do, or be told that, you know, I've got a tiny, you know, like a, a one second of VT every four hours and now I'm a sick person. Yeah. Now, I'm going to be, now I might not go to the gym because I'm worried it might, you know, do something to me. I might not go running with my kids. I might not, you know, I'll, be, uh, I'll avoid picking them up. So there's loads of implications to sort of over, over maybe probably over diagnosis and over treating things and um, what we call illness, isn't it, these mm. days? And uh, like you say, Thrush, I think it's probably going to, it's probably going to get worse, isn't it? Mm. It's, it is going to get worse. There was another tweet though that was that kind of referenced a TikTok video that I feel we should discuss because it was something that we all had reactions to. And so this was a tweet by Ed Hutch- Hutchinson, and that was our that was at ten o three a.m. on the fifteenth of November, and it was American MDs need to get over themselves was the tweet. Oh yes, uh, and yeah, it was basically yeah, yeah. a whole load of round. <laughs> yeah, a whole load of yeah. MDs who were all being called by their first name and were watching their reactions. What do you guys think of that video? It did make me laugh because obviously that just, like I know it for consultants obviously, but I feel like the trainees that just doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, I feel like I would be more shocked if someone called me by my surname at work. Really? Yeah. I mean, I still remember like around the first time someone called me Dr. Lasker, I was a bit like, 
whoa, okay, cool, man. <laughs> I sound like I sound like really senior or something. And then I, even when someone asks me, oh, Imran, can you sign this? I'm like, my signature actually means something. Wow, that's kind of cool, isn't it? So I just scribbled out <laughs> my name and they went off and gave something. Um, it, but then, yeah, that video, I think it upset, not upset people, but it did, it did make them question a lot of things about like the high, it was about hierarchy, isn't it? It was, it was high. I don't think the person who did the video was trying to hire, hi, highlight hierarchy. It looked like they were doing a little bit of a, you know, a candid, jokey sort of yeah. thing with their mates at work. And then even the doctors who looked like they were surprised. But I think there's two things that like, if this lady is going into work every single day and always calls them doctor something, doctor something, and one day out of the blue calls them by their first name, that would that would make you think, oh, hang on, what's going on here? Is everything all right? You know, um, maybe that's what happened, you know, trying to give them some sort of um, uh, escape uh, a way out of it. But otherwise, um, if it is literally the fact that they don't like being called by their first name because, you know, I'm doctor such and such, <laughs> then, I mean, there is a bit of hierarchy there that, that you know, they clearly weren't happy about. How do you introduce yourself, Ivy? Do you say I'm Ivy, Dr. Ivy? I just say I'm Ivy, I'm one of the doctors. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, okay, cool, cool. But sometimes it's quite nice. Like, I, I remember when I went to Chicago for a conference and I was booking myself in and then the lady was like, are you a doctor? I was like, yeah, I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a real one as well, like a proper real doctor. I go, what kind of doctor is a radiologist? Oh, okay. Because uh, <laughs> you know, I, was a, I was a sea of radiologists. There was like, so many of them, you know, because we're all at this conference in, in Chicago. But yeah, it was, um, yeah, sometimes quite nice, I guess, to, to be treated special, treated nice. I must admit, when I saw mm. the video, I think because most of the people that they were kind of, uh, what she was approaching were kind of like older white guys. And so I did feel mm. a bit like, Oh, you know, these guys, this, just because some of them did look kind of a bit annoyed or a bit miffed by it, mm. not just kind of shocked. Mm. But, um, and then it's funny because how, like, I guess it maybe shows how social media like affects you because I felt the outrage. Because, um, and then I saw there were some other tweets which were along the lines of actually a lot of people who talk about flattening the hierarchy and using first names and things are kind of like white males who are in a privileged position of never having their position challenged. So it's easy for mm. them to say, oh, we should be called by our first names. But actually there are some people who, you know, get mistaken for a nurse or, you know, have to kind of say I'm a doc, you know, uh, or mistaken for not be like, so have their kind of position questioned all the time and not taken for granted. Um, and then also there's the whole kind of fact that it's a cult, you know, cultural thing and what these people are used to in different kind of areas and whatever. And so I guess um, it just kind of shows the nuance of social media too, right? Like how um, how it's framed. It played up to a few things, didn't it, that video? Uh, I remember, yeah, when I first saw it, I was a bit surprised, but then I was thinking about it more and thinking like, you know, maybe for the last 10 years, this lady's always been saying doctor such and such, and then out of the blue, they've gone and said that. But yeah, they they, they did look, I mean, it was, it was a nice uh, nice conversation topic because we see it, don't we, where people um, really get fixated on being called uh, doctor something. Mm. And in fact, actually, I don't know, well, Thrusha, I don't know if, but maybe not in contact, but I think I went to a wedding with a friend of mine and, um, uh, he's he's a dentist mm. and so we got to the front and then he was like he said to the lady at the front oh we're both doctors um you know be happy to look after emergencies as possible is there any chance for an upgrade of some sort and i thought i would never have done that man that's crazy and then um we actually managed to get slightly better seats and i was walking away I was like that's awesome man like i can't i've never done that he goes i never done that i only did it because you're here i'm a dentist <laughs> and i thought great yeah that's a good point <laughs> what are you gonna do if something goes down I mean, it's gonna be me isn't it <laughs> 
Yeah, and um, That's so funny. yeah, something did go down. Did on it? The way back. But anyway, yeah, on the way back, on the way back, something did go down. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's one for an addendum episode, is it? Oh god. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, well, we could talk about all that. Yeah, it was it was scary, man. There was one topic that you put in that I think I feel like we should talk about, which is so it's the fest hall one. Oh, yeah. of course you want to have a talk about Fessel. It's your favourite Twitter account. <laughs> yeah, That's why is. I follow Twitter Fessel because you told me yeah, to follow yeah, yeah. Twitter Fessel. Do you want to do the tweet? Uh, do, you, do you follow Swessel, Ivy? Do you follow it? No. It's really good. So basically it's an account where people DM them confessions anonymously and so they just post kind of what the confession is. <laughs> and sometimes you get some lurid, some sordid of stuff. stuff. Some of it's truly hateful and you're like, wow, that's awful. Yeah, um, you're a bad person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's quite cathartic. Sometimes you could probably be like, because, you know, it's just some anon. Yeah. But this one was quite good. Um, Do you want to read it, Emma? Yeah, so top performer in the office lost his dad at the start of the lockdown. That's sad. I had to take over his work and found he'd been faking stats and hiding or deleting work he didn't want to do. I dropped him in it and he was sacked. Sorry about your dad, but your lies made our work harder. <laughs> I mean, there's a few sentiments. I mean, the reason I stuck this in, there's a few sentiments here, especially the one with like, you know, your lives made our work harder. I always found that, you know, people who stay late and do all this stuff, like extra things, made my life harder. Like, why can't you just go home yeah. and watch TV like the rest of us? Don't do any papers. Don't, don't, don't go to the conference, please. Yeah, just don't. Yeah, you're right. Can we just all have normal lives, please? Just stop making my life harder. And then the other reason I felt this way, because I've, I have been, and I've mentioned this person before, like they want to get the ophthalmology and they were an absolutely atrocious doctor. And when they got called up on it, they were like, listen, I don't care about whatever you're talking about. I want to be an ophthalmologist and I'm going to carry on doing what I'm doing. So I had to have someone else follow him around while he did his on calls. It just became more and more work. And he got that number because he was spending his time getting papers in, turning out to conferences. So on the on paper, he was doing great. But the rest of us were having to, you know, their, their lives was making our work harder. So that's why I related so much to this. Um, I think we should uh, probably stop there. Um, so Ivy, uh, I think, yeah, like I've said this about a lot of people, but you've been pretty difficult to get hold of. But, you know, thank you for <laughs> making the time between looking after your plants and all the other stuff that F1s and F2s do these days. <laughs> yeah, thank you for taking a chance Thanks on us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for obviously yeah, being part of this and being part of uh, the journey and listening and obviously interacting with us so much on Twitter and making my Twitter what it is. Um, so yeah, and and for the rest of you guys, you know, if you do, if you do feel like putting a five star uh, review in, then please do. Um, that'd be very helpful for the algorithm, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, we through sure, should we say this? Look, we a few people have asked us in WhatsApp groups and also personally, what are we doing for a finale? So not finale, but end of year episode. You know, what what are we going to do? We've got a few ideas flying around. Yeah. Um, Ivy, do you have any ideas off the top of your head that what, what we should do is a bit of a special thing for the end of the year or even Christmas episode? Not Ooh. gymnastics. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> why not? Well, when you come down to London, we do gymnastics. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. We, we've got to we've got to come up with something. So if you do feel like you've got any ideas, do DM us, email us, yeah. tweet us, give us a few ideas about what you think. And um, we've got a few ideas that are flying around. It might be good fun. But anyway, we've got to do our AMA, don't yeah, we? Oh my gosh, we do go to the AMA. We've also got to tell you know, tell the person that's won. You know, yeah, yeah. you know they've won, and also get them their tea or yeah, coffee yeah, yeah. as well. So we haven't yeah. forgotten. You know, YouTube is very much on the yeah. radar uh, of what we're going to get up to, and we've got a fair few good ideas um, coming up for that as well. So do do uh, keep keep stay with us and um, be part of all the fun. So yeah, as always, my Twitter. Thank you so much for uh, being uh, all that fun, um, giving us lots of entertainment as usual. Try and be nice to each other, and um, let's not get cancelled. Yeah. All right then. <laughs> Bye everyone. 
And you've been listening to Two Medics and One Mic with Imran Lasker and Tarusha Gurwana. Thank you for listening.